0: And a good Monday morning to all of you out there, our ladies, our gentlemen, our fanatics of all ages. The, the Phillies are riding high. And so I welcome you into a Good Vibes episode of Phillies Therapy. My name is Paul Boyer, joined as always by the Athletics' Matt Gelb. The Phillies are fresh off of a a nice, productive week where they won two series and they put a bunch of ground between themselves and a number of other wildcard teams. Sunday in particular was was very favorable for them. And so all of a sudden, the Phillies are looking kind of comfy in their wildcard spot right now. A few other things happened over the past week. You might have noticed, if you were paying attention. Trey Turner got an unusual bit of support and... Uh really helped that pay off immediately. That was nice to see. Left field is going to become an interesting situation with Brandon Marsh out for a couple of weeks after banging his knee real bad on the center field wall. Matt, let's bring you in to talk about a few of these things and some other things that are going on that that have caught your eye over the last week. First of all, how are you? How was your weekend?
1: Uh weekend was was good. It took a couple of days just after uh after being on the road and after the trade deadline and all the everything involved with that. So uh, it's great to be at the ballpark. I, I, I mean, honestly, my weekend was ruined by the fact that Zach Greinke was not allowed to bat. Uh, <laughs> we were so close. <laughs> really, really disappointed in that. Uh, tremendous fun fact that he, uh, you know, he does have two career home runs against the Phillies, one against Cliff Lee and the other against uh, David Buchanan. And uh, the one against David Buchanan, I actually went and found a video and it was a tremendous, tremendous bat flip. And I recommend anyone listening to go search for Zach Arnke's home run against David Buchanan. But other than that, I'm doing great, Paul. I, I, I was doing good, good. Uh, this morning until I checked the forecast uh, for Monday night. We're recording this Monday morning. Uh, not a great forecast. It's the kind of forecast where you're like, I'm envisioning myself sitting uh, at the ballpark for a few hours during a rain delay tonight.
0: Well, you got that to gear up for. The Phillies, meanwhile, are gearing up for four games against the, the Washington Nationals. Probably expect a doubleheader, I guess, to, to come out of... A,
1: no, don't say that. Don't say that. There's, there's no. There's no. There's no layups. You know. There's no. There's no predicting the weather.
0: Right. Right. The Nationals have been playing better baseball of late, even though the Phillies have had their number for a couple of years now. Uh, so it's not to be taken lightly. Uh, although this does consider the the slightly lighter part of their schedule here in August, as they look to build up this wild card lead. And Matt, I brought us in talking about this wild card lead. It really was one of the more productive weeks and weekends that the Phillies have had in terms of the standings in a little bit of time, because what we've seen the last couple of months is if they gain just a tiny bit of ground one day, they either give it back or they win on the same day that another one of their close competitors takes a win too. And it just never really seemed like they were getting a cushion. They were never really building up that kind of security that you'd hope they have for a wildcard spot, even as the division continued to slip away. But over the last week, not just since we last recorded, since we all joined you uh, immediately after the trade deadline, but over the last week in full, the Phillies went four and two. Arizona went zero and six. The Cincinnati Reds went zero and six. The Miami Marlins went one and five. <laughs> so you look at that and you're like, wow, what a difference a week makes. All of a sudden, this team is three games clear of the third wildcard spot. And their playoff odds are shooting through the roof. I, I know, Matt. You were looking up. You were looking up their fangrafts odds. They're over eighty percent now, right?
1: Yeah, they're they come in today eighty one percent. Honestly, the number is less important than the fact that this is the highest their odds have been all season to make there you the go. playoffs.
0: Yeah, it, it's been it's been about as good of a week in that regard as you can imagine. I'm just looking at the table right now, July thirtieth. These playoff odds on Baseball Reference, just to switch gears a little bit, were sixty four percent. So they've jumped an entire 20% in the last week and change. That's not to say that things can't change in the next week. We know how baseball goes. But as far as this past week is concerned, we're riding high on the vibes right now. Maybe nobody else is riding higher on vibes than Trey Turner. Thankfully, mercifully, (laughs) there came a point about a couple days ago when he was in the midst of his his latest slump and things were continuing to look not great. He had struck out for maybe the 10th straight game, at least. And it just became like a human issue to me. It it became less about what this guy was, was doing or not doing on the baseball field than it is just like thinking about what kind of toll this was taking on this guy's brain. I was trying to put myself in that situation Matt, in, in imagining, first of all, that I was going to be guaranteed $300 million, but second of all, that I was, <laughs> I was bearing the, the weight of expectation and not just like the start of a season's expectations, but four months of not meeting those expectations. And while of course yeah. I couldn't fully get there, I was, I got to like, oh, I was like, oh, that's, that's really gotta suck. And then, of course, this weekend happened and things started to turn around. Matt, I, I, I don't know what it's like in the clubhouse. What we can see on the field, at least, is a lot of support. And in the stands in particular over this weekend, uh, as a lot of fans really just tried to turn the tables and gave Trey Turner a standing ovation just to be like, hey, we support you, bud. We, we understand things suck right now we're going to ease off the booing for a second and get behind you, let you know that even though we do boo sometimes and the booze will not go away, I don't think we still got your back. This is just what we do. And he responded in kind with, with a couple of really big games, Matt. I, I don't, I don't know what the mood was like in the clubhouse or, or around the guys after something like that, but that had to feel good for basically everybody involved this weekend.
1: Yeah. And I think to me, Paul, the, the, the turning point I think was that, interview that he gave you know to uh me and Todd lucky and Alex Coffey from the Inquirer who were there in Miami after that crazy ass four-hour game uh and and he he took blame for the loss and and you can debate whether it was his fault or not yeah I I don't think it was like he definitely you know didn't make a play that would have won the game but they also had a five-run lead that they blew yep a lot of things conspired against them in that game Craig Kimbrell was tipping pitches, I think, they think. And then maybe they were. He wasn't. It was yeah. very odd. Um, but the way he gave that interview and answered, you know, our questions for a few minutes. And uh, I, I truly think that was like a turning point. It was, you know, I think for me, it's been a human issue for a while. Like I've been, you know, listening to him speak, watching him work. And, uh, you know, the scene is just kind of indelible in my mind from that night in Miami. It's It's extremely late. Um, he had already, you know, he had been full uniform. He'd been, he had been hitting, um, you know, I wrote about this in the athletic because the, the, the cage is like right next to the clubhouse there and he'd been hitting, he stopped to come take, you know, to answer some questions. Then he went back and hit for a while. And, Um, you know, the, the, Rob Thompson stayed there with him and Kevin Long and, you know, the traveling secretary, Jameson Hall, he stayed there and so did an athletic trainer and they just waited. Like they waited until Turner, that like, you know, how does Phil and it's like around midnight and they decide to leave. And I think just people seeing Turner speak the way he did and putting the work that he is. And and I don't think the work has ever, you know, really wavered. Uh, I I just think it became something where people started to realize that this guy is, uh, you know, supremely talented and very much going through it from a mental side. And yeah, I appreciate Nick Castellanos being open and willing to share kind of his perspective and the perspective of those in the clubhouse regarding Turner. And I I do think on some level, like people connected with that and I did not expect the kind of reaction and whether, you know, whether it was, uh, it became like this social media thing that people were trying to um, make their own. I, you know, I don't know the whole movement thing. It's, it kind of got a little out of hand, but um, you know, there was, there was some organic uh, qualities, to you know those ovations and the fact that they kept going and really the whole weekend um did it help him i don't know it sounded like it did um it didn't hurt him i don't think uh certainly facing the royals you know might have helped <laughs> and um, yeah. that's a good yeah. thing you know yeah. and that was kind of like that was like the debate it's like you know even talking to rob thompson about this it's like well like do you, do you try to sit him for like an extended period and then and then there's this, this debate it's like well do you sit him against you know this this you know the weekend against the royals because you know, the timing seems right. Maybe you want to do it, but would you rather him have a chance against one of the worst pitching staffs in baseball to sort of get himself right. And they end up landing there. And I, I think it was the right call. Like, obviously like he took yeah. a few good swings. He had some good results. He's feeling good about himself. Um, is he back? Like, I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, I think we need to see more, but it's obviously sure. encouraging. And so, uh, I think it's cool the way the fans reacted. I think it's cool the way the players acknowledge it, especially Turner. I think it's really cool. Like he made eye contact, you know, coming back in the dugout after the home run, he kind of looks at Thompson as he's coming back to the bat rack and Thompson, you can tell is basically telling him, go, go, go take a curtain call. And he does it. And and that, that's cool. Like that's a, that's a really cool moment. It's a great moment for him. Um, you know, maybe it gets him right. And, you know, I've said this on numerous platforms here, everywhere. You know, if he has a, a final two really solid months and the phillies are the four seed going into the playoffs and they have a home series uh at citizens bank park like you know fewer people are going to remember the the first four months of his season and no the numbers are not going to be there by the end but yeah um if, if they're there in the playoffs and he's confident and playing well uh i mean it's amazing paul isn't it amazing where they are while getting the kind of production they've gotten from turner
0: Oh of course. Yeah, absolutely. It it's sort of in a way kind of like how they took off when Harper had his hand broken last year. You know, all the other guys around him stepped up and even though he was out, they were able to not only tread water, they they made progress, which is kind of it, it's almost weird. It's like exactly against what you expect. And now of course, yeah, you bring in a guy who you expect from the get-go to be another really impactful guy on both ends of the ball um, and just hasn't been that really for longer than a week at a time throughout the course of this season, you know, in that way, yeah, it is remarkable. They've had the guys that have, you know, needed to step in, come through at the right times. Have they always done that? No, it hasn't been, you know, as much of a, a folk hero season so far. I don't think as it was last year, you know, you look at somebody like Garrett Stubbs falling off a little bit. He hasn't, he hasn't quite been there. Some of the other bench guys that they've plugged in have have faded off quickly. But I think by and large, yeah, it's hard to argue with with what's on the paper right now. They're 10 games above 500. They're 61 and 51, all while getting far less than what they expected from their star shortstop. And, you know, expectation is kind of a thematic thing with me and Turner right now. Because think about what what if Turner had spent the last three, four seasons with the Phillies coming into this year? Right. Let, let's just imagine a world where he was acquired earlier, somehow, some way, different circumstances, put up the numbers that he did his last four years where he's batting, you know, anywhere from 300 to 320, picks up a batting title, looks like a perennial MVP candidate, and then comes into this year. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, hey, wait, what happened here? I think what happened is that because all we had as Phillies fans coming in was the expectation that this guy was just going to be great. That is all we really knew of him because we didn't have that familiarity because it got off to such a slow start outside of that first series in Texas. Patience was tested really quickly. It's all we knew. All we knew was that this guy was supposed to come in and be a superstar. We did not have that bond that had been built over a couple of years where we could more quickly switch gears into being supportive. I think what we saw over this past weekend arrives quicker if his laundry had been different for the past couple of years, I think we had to work through the frustration and the confusion of only assuming that this guy was going to be great and not getting that we hadn't seen his greatness firsthand for more than, you know, a couple of games a year. And so we didn't get that. So it's, it's interesting to watch this cycle happen with, Another new acquisition, another first year guy with the Phillies, you know, getting off to kind of a slow start for him, either relatively or just in general, and then seeing it pick back up this way. And yeah, do I think he's fixed? Yeah, I I don't know. I would like for him to be fixed. You know, it's funny. He's got extra base hits and back to back games. Now, these last two games, it's an active streak. Yeah, it, it, it is wild. Okay, so he's He's got Can extra bases. Back... He's got back-to-back yeah.
1: games with extra base hits. Since... Yeah,
0: for the first time since.
1: Uh, late May. Uh, Arizona, you're very maybe? close.
0: June 2nd and 3rd. It's been more than two months. That is crazy. Uh, but games against the Nationals. I mean, that's just, that's what he was going through. The, again, this is a guy who won a batting title. He hits, he hits 300 to 320 every year with Tony O'Brien and he's just I would love for this to be the start of it. I would love for this to be the start of that scenario you just talked about where these last two months he puts on a show and finally comes through after all of this for him, for us, for the team, for for everybody. I I think we need it at this point. He Mm. needs it most of all.
1: Here's my thing, though. Like, I don't know that he has to put on a show for the next two months. I think he needs to get better, obviously, but the best thing the Phillies can do for him, and this was, I thought this really, you know, Castellano is sort of trying to explain this and it really, um, it really made so much sense. Is like the best thing that we can do as his teammates is not, you know, ask him, you know, how he's doing, how can I help, whatever. The best thing we can do is get him to the postseason. It's like, pick him up and just make mm-hmm. him, one of the guys right now, right? Like he's just one of the guys. Yeah. And if he's having failures, but we are winning and other guys are or other ships are rising while his is falling, that's okay. Like okay. just get yep. him to the playoffs. And like that's what happened with me, Castnyas is saying and mm-hmm. um and he's not wrong about that. So no you know, I think the fact that Turner was just kinda like, you know, one of the guys for the last few days And yes, certainly, you know, there's a little more tension on every back, you know, because of the the ovations and stuff and that that'll fade. And that's fine. Like that. That was, you know, that was a one weekend kind of thing. We don't need to do this every time because at some point it does become patronizing. But yes, uh, Yes. (laughs) so (laughs) um, the best thing they can do is just, you know, have other guys play well around him and sort of mitigate, you know, the issues, the struggles that he's going through and just get him to the end, get him to the playoffs and get, you know, maybe this kind of fresh slate, this blank slate. you know, that, that proposition has become a little harder given what happened this weekend. You know, the fact that Brandon Marsh is going to be down for three, maybe two, probably three weeks uh, with a bruised knee. And it's going to create sort of a Frankenstein outfield, I think. But, um, you know, again, comes back to some of those star players need to be better. I thought Bryce Harper had some really good swings over the weekend. Uh, yep. Castellanos said, you know, home runs, they hit home runs with runners with runners on baseball. Like I yeah. used to stat in my story. This was, this is insane to me. Like. I've remarked about this numerous times here about not hitting home runs with runners on base, etc. Uh They have had something like, uh, let me find this. They had 45 home runs in 109 games with runners okay. on base. This weekend in three games, they hit seven home runs with runners on base. So they hit like, uh, like 11% of their season. Wow season total of home runs with runners on base, multi-run homers, uh, this past weekend.
0: <laughs> that man, that is wild. You know, it <laughs> that's one of those things where it always seems like something is off, but it's hard to look that up exactly. And certainly hard to look it up quickly. So to hear to hear it spelled out like that, it is wild. I mean just it changes the games. Like, you know, yeah you know, you put one
1: over the wall with a runner or two runners on base. Like that game on Sunday changed you know, Tom Walker has a terrible first inning. Everything's in play. His loss is like 89. You're like, oh, man. And it's three nothing Royals. And then in the bottom of the first, Bryson Stott hits his first opposite field home run of his career. It's a three run homer and the game is tied immediately 3-3. And it's a totally different game.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it flipped it right on its head. And then it happened a couple of other times, you know, with Schwarber giving them the lead after they gave it back. And right in the second inning, the very next inning. And then Castellanos takes one out for a little insurance in the fifth. Damn, hitting home runs is nice. Hitting home runs with runners on base. Also really, really nice. Yeah, go figure, huh? Still 10th,
1: 10th in the league in home runs. Like that, that is an eighth, or now sixth in slugging, but 10th in home runs. That is just, I I don't know. It's it's crazy. They
0: they got some work to do there still, sure. It's kind of like the Turner thing where you don't quite believe that they've fully flipped the script yet, but you think that there could be some momentum here. Yeah, maybe they can pile on a little bit Against the Nationals like th- this, you would hope would be the time to do it. Nationals are hitting the ball, so you might want to look to score a few runs.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say Marsh, like Marsh losing Marsh. I mean, his his he's got a 460 slug this year, which is not how we envisioned Brandon Marsh going in the season. But that's um, that's the best on the team. Like that is the best slugging mark on the team. And it's not because he's a home runner. It's because he's got 20 doubles and six triples. And, um, you know, he, he's really giving them some big extra base hits down in the lineup, you know, with runners on base.
0: Yeah, it'll be tough to lose him uh, for a couple of weeks. But thankfully, it was just, you know, only a, brew, a very bad bruise, but only a bruise. And hopefully he can come back strong after a couple of weeks. I, I think you made an interesting point going back to um, just to touch on the Turner thing, being one of the guys, you know, getting to the playoffs, being one of the guys. I, I think that is an important point to make. Um, but holistically, the the Phillies kind of have that one of the guys mentality going with their younger players, right? Because normally you you see these teams that are built to be contenders and not all the time, but a lot of the time they have this construction of, you know, veteran guys, some maybe a couple established stars, older, you know, late twenties, early thirties, early to mid thirties. They're the backbone of the team. They're the ones who the younger guys turn to for support to help guide them. Through a pennant chase and eventually the playoffs, you know, the kind of like that archetype sort of thing. You know the one I'm talking about. Anyway. <laughs> the Phillies haven't really followed that script this year. And I bring it up because it's just one of those little factoids, this one of one of these notes of interest that I've found. And we've talked about you and I, um, in looking at this, and it's only grown, I think, since the last time we've actually talked about it. The younger players on this team are doing all the work, almost all the work, on offense. They're doing a ton. Baseball reference breaks out uh, player performance by their age on July 1st. You know th- That's the age that you typically see along their season stat lines. When you say they're age 26 season, it's what age they are on July 1st, right near in the middle of the year. And the Phillies, by that breakout, for players who are 25 or younger, they comprise nine a little over 900 plate appearances which and is and that's not counting
1: Alec bohm right
0: uh i don't believe that is i think this is alec bohm's age 26 season but i should look yeah. that up before okay it so it is yeah. all right so he he does not count toward this split that i'm about to talk about here so a little over 900 plate appearances the combined production for guys who are 25 or younger is an 808 ops they're hitting 296 as a unit with a 354 on base and a 454 slug. Guys who are 26 to 30, which should include Bryce Harper, which includes Trey Turner, they're hitting a combined 240 with a 709 OPS. Now that's in 2400 plate appearances, which makes up almost three times the amount, so you can see why things get dragged down a little bit, but it's a 100 point OPS difference with the guys who are younger. And it's not just like, you know, the, the, the middle eight, it's not middle age, but the middle bracket of that. It's not as if that's middle age. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's not as if that bracket is made up of, you know, replacement level guys. Like there are some really big hitters there literally. And yet the young guys are the ones doing the work. You know, Bryson Stott, you mentioned big opposite field home run. Brandon Marsh is part of that group leading the team in OPS. It's a team that has almost seemed like, those guys are carryovers, by the way, from that postseason run. It's almost seemed like they've they've carried some of that momentum from the playoff run where maybe they were just, you know, not along for the ride, but they were the new guys in the room relying on the veterans to help guide them through and are now like, all right, we can do this. We got it from here. They've been doing a lot of the work. Where would we be without them? Where would he be without the likes of Brandon Marsh? You know, his his absence is going to be felt now that he's going to be out a couple of weeks. I look at a guy like Alec Boehm, and I see, I see like
1: real progress there. And, and again, the overall picture of him is not—it's it, still like a flawed picture, right? I mean, he is not by any means um, a perfect player, not by any stretch. But I look at like, I look at his May and June, which were really bad; they were not good. Um, mm-hmm. And then I look at his July, and he's had a huge rebound, and he's carried that into August. And I see a guy who, you know has made some changes who had a really good start to the season, had a not so good middle and then came out of it making adjustments and is better now. And so um, that's what you want to see from your younger players. Like you want, you know, you want to see them be able to conquer those ups and downs because you know they're going to be there and you're right. The dynamic you've laid out uh, is surprising. Uh, The fact that their younger guys have really in the overall picture of the season, have been their steadiest guys in the lineup. Bryson Stott, Alec Boehm, Brandon Marsh, uh, you know, really have continually picked up some of the more established players on this team. Uh, And, and that's, uh, that's not something I would have ever expected. I expect those guys to be good, like to have, you know, to be, to be solid contributors. Um, But I I think they've been more than that. And if you want to look at uh, baseball reference war, I mean like, you know, Marsh and Stott are two of the top four right now on the team. Uh, Bohm gets dinged for the defense, which I understand. So, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a long, long time since a player as young as Bryson Stott has led uh, the team in war. I think it might have been maybe like Rule Five Odubel in the 2015 year when there was no oh, one on the team.
0: Dear, yeah. But
1: going back, I mean, it's really it's not a it's not a long list. At least uh, in the last 30 years, it's like a Brayu maybe uh, being that young and leading the team in war. Mm. um rolling maybe one of those years so it's uh it's remarkable what they've gotten from those guys it has to be encouraging moving forward um as they try to figure this out beyond uh 2023 and i know that's you know there's plenty left in this season but i do think i I think with the marsh situation it is going to be really interesting i mean johan ross is going to play center field every day uh for the foreseeable Mm -hmm. future and you know chris Pache is probably going to start a rehab assignment tuesday if 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 he feels good he'll probably play for clearwater on tuesday
0: okay uh, that's and good and i'm
1: thinking he needs like a weekish to get back they expect him to beat marsh back you know pache they expect him to beat marsh back so he'll be back okay. on the roster sometime uh this month uh and and it creates a really interesting dynamic paul it's like can they carry and this is first of all let's just take a step back and say and appreciate the fact that the Phillies might have too many center fielders <laughs> because <laughs> how many years, how many years since you know the departure of Shane Victorino? Were we wow. wondering will the Phillies ever have a, a functional center fielder?
0: <laughs> wow!
1: <laughs> and I'm not suggesting that they have too many center fielders right now because no, I, right. I think I think the future is very much unwritten for all three of these guys. I don't really know what to make of all three of them, right. um, Marsh included. I'm not really sure what to make of Marsh, even, yeah, I agree. even with his decent season, um, but. you know can they carry all three of these guys like in September and 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 Rob Thompson's been asked this and he says yes he thinks so um I'm not so sure about that but um what what do you do like you know moving forward like left field is going to be like Jake Cave Weston Wilson uh you know Schwarber maybe once a week
0: um Garrett Stubbs
1: Garrett Stubbs (laughs) <laughs> Rodolfo, who his friends call him Rudy, by the way, if you want to, Rudy? Rudy Castro. Uh, Rudy can't and, fail. <laughs> he's probably gonna try to get some reps in the outfield. He's never played there, uh, which much to the dismay of Rob Thompson, was like, he's never played the outfield. Like, I think that was something they thought, um, like in, in acquiring him that he was gonna be able to do that. Um, I guess not. But
0: um interesting.
1: Uh but when let's say when Marsh is back and pache is back, like what, mm-hmm. what do you what do you want to see in the outfield?
0: Wow. No, it's a great question. I mean, I think one of the obvious ones is is Jake Cave makes way for one of those guys because he just hasn't been able to translate his absolute triple A no. demolition to the major leagues. It's a shame because he's he's absolutely too good for triple A and he just hasn't made it work this year in the leagues. The
1: definition majors. of a 4A player. I mean yeah, it really it's is just, like the living, breathing
0: it's it's why like it's wild yeah. looking at his triple A numbers and what and what they drop down to. So I think he makes way. Johan has been impressive in some ways and also the not quite ready guy you expect in others. I think he's he's shown some nice things. He's been able to stay afloat at the major league level, which is probably more than you could have expected straight from double A with yes, him yes. and his profile right now, which is great. So I don't think it's any knock on him that he probably goes out to when Marsh and Pache are both back and healthy. You know, Cave makes one spot, Rojas makes another. Um, or maybe West I don't know what the Weston Wilson thing is all about. I, I don't really I don't really <laughs> Do You know, know I looked
1: this up and this is a I actually uh <laughs> I couldn't believe this when I looked this up. Weston Wilson this year, Paul, has 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 had a 2020 season in the miners. He's got 20 home runs, 20 steals. Yeah. Who was the last Phillies farmhand at any level to have a 2020 season? And the hint I'll give you is it happened in the last 10 years.
0: Oh dear a 2020 season at any level, at of any level trainers. in the Phillies
1: farm system.
0: Is it, it happening
1: within the last 10 years?
0: So it's not somebody who's still with the organization. I'm
1: guessing. Correct. Yeah, you can ask me five questions. Oh, okay. So that's your All first right. One.
0: So that's one. Uh, is it somebody who was traded for a player who's still on the team this year? No. Um, All right, I'm going to rule out one guy. I don't think it was Crawford. I don't know if he got to 20. Uh, Was it was it was it Nick Williams? Nope. I already forgot the answer to the second question, so I'm not sure if I I am close. Oh, boy. Uh, 20 home runs makes it tough because you can think of like Roman Quinn. You know, you got the steals, but not the power. I don't know. Who is it? Dylan Cousins. Dylan Cousins stole 20 bases? <laughs> no kidding. I
1: completely he, forgot about that. In 2016 he hit 40 dingers and had 21 steals for Redding. He had 125 RBIs that year, count.
0: The Bash Brothers. That was that was the Hoskins. Bash Brothers
1: year. Correct. Yes, that was the Bash You're Brothers right. year.
0: He stole 21 uh, and was only caught once. No kidding. I completely <laughs> neglected the speed element of Dylan Cousins' game. Dylan, I am sorry. May culpa my guy. Dylan That's Cousins incredible. Is currently
1: playing like semi-pro football somewhere, I think. Really? Yeah, I think that was his his second career. He was a big time football recruit uh, back back in the day.
0: Well, that makes sense. He certainly had the size for it. But yes, that
1: is uh, as far as I can tell in the last you know I don't know in the last like twenty years that is the only other twenty twenty minor league season. So who knows what Weston Wilson is? That's a roundabout way of saying it. He signed as a minor (laughs) league free agent. um, He'll get some run against lefties. Um, Uh huh. Nice guy. Like he was around in spring training for most of spring, and he got a lot of playing time in the spring because they had he did yeah the wbc stuff going on so um i don't know like i i think like you know they've been really careful if you look at pache's numbers and he didn't play very much but when he played um he almost never played against righties and that's why he's been successful he's crushed lefties yep so i mean it's like do you want a straight platoon with marsh and pache and then rojas fills the other spot I mean, because they, they really don't have a great answer. It's like, okay, or does Marsh play every day in left field and then Pache plays against lefties in center and Rojas plays against righties? That's not a that's mm. not a strong, you know, Rojas is right-handed. I'm just saying that maybe does Rojas have a better chance against righties than Pache does against righties? I don't know.
0: I don't know either. I, I think it is kind of a rhetorical question right now. I'd, I'd like to find out. I would prefer seeing, you know, Rojas as much as I could you know, even given Weston Wilson's season, I think it's more intriguing to see what Rojas can do. Just because there's more of a ceiling with somebody like that, you have like there's some hope that this is a guy that could hang around for a little while. You know, right. and
1: I know both these. You know, they're both seem all. You know, both Rojas and Pache being a roster seems superfluous. But I would add that. Um, because they give you athleticism and speed and defense and all that, like it might not be superfluous because they don't have a lot of that in the roster, right? And if one of, the, if one of your bench spots, it's just how much are you willing to sacrifice like at-bats, you know, for a developing player. And in September, yeah. you're probably saying it's not a big deal to me. I'd rather if Rojas is the last guy on my bench or Pache is the last guy on my bench and is not playing very much, save, you know, uh, late inning defense or a pinch running spot, then I'm okay with that.
0: Yeah, I think you can live with that too. So it it sounds like then for the next week and change, assuming Pache's rehab assignment lasts for about a week, if everything goes well, that things could just be a little interesting with the guys oh, yeah. we see. <laughs> it, it,
1: it's it's a lot of spare parts right now. It's yeah. like where do these guys fit? Like when when is Rodolfo Castro going to play? Like right. and and does he need to play? Probably not. But yeah, I mean, how are they going to do this? And you're right. And Jake Cave is to me is a is a you know. Uh, he's kind of an interesting figure in all this because like he's he theoretically should get a lot of playing time here but i, I don't know if he's earned it
0: no i mean it, his numbers certainly don't look great i know it's been sporadic looks here and there throughout the year but it yeah it, it's not as if we're looking at a short burst at mundo sosa who earned you know a lot of starting playing time uh when when a vacancy opened up it, it's been a little different so that that'll be fun i'll be I'll, at the very least i'm i'm grateful that johan continues to get looks you know, th- this has already lasted a bit longer than I think I might have expected when he was first recalled. Um, and he's he's done well, man. He's been exciting. He he clearly looks comfortable in center field. This guy, he fields with style. I like I like watching him track down some of these. He's balls. very good out there. Yeah, he's he's really good. Um, but speaking of expectations, I, I think that brings us to uh, probably what, what would be considered our final point of this week. And it's going back and measuring where the Phillies are right now against what the preseason expectations were for this club coming into the year. And I think you and I were, were very squarely aligned in thinking that the Phillies, as they were built at the start of the year, and this is even after Hoskins injury, so taking that into account, were somewhere between like an 85 to 88 win team, definitely in the wild card hunt. And you brought up something interesting to me. Uh, we We were talking back and forth last night that maybe the national perspective was a little bit different. You look at the current playoff seedings and you say, all right, you have the Reds and Diamondbacks who were in the hunt but are now starting to fall off pretty hard. They're still technically in it. And I think the expectation was that they were not going to be playoff teams this year, both with their division competition and just the way they were currently constructed, probably still being a year away. You could say the same about Miami, who has felt you know a year or two away for the last five or six years, save for that you know short, <laughs> shortened season playoff appearance for whatever you count uh, that as. But the Phillies are right in the mix, and maybe we oversold things being a little too close. Maybe the expectation nationally was not quite as rosy. Maybe it's surprising people that the Phillies are, are in the thick of the wildcard race and have as much of a hold on the spot as they currently do, even despite their pennant run. I think nationally, maybe people thought it was a little bit more of a fluke than it really was. And it was part fluke, of course. Matt, I'm I'm curious because you sent me something and it reflected a, a bit of a different perspective. And it, it caused me to reflect a little bit and think like, oh, did we oversell this team? Is this you know, better than they could have been expected to be playing right now at, at 61 and 51 playing at a, a 92 win pace in the second half, you know, after the all-star break, like, c- can you, can you add a little context here? Can you tell everybody what, what we were talking about? Well, Mike Petrell, who,
1: who uh, works on com and does a lot of the Statcast cast stuff in them. And I, I always like a lot of the tidbits that he puts out there. And I think he has a good perspective, you know, like he's, he, I, I consider him to be a knowledgeable baseball guy and, he tweeted something last night just after, you know, you referenced, Paul, the weird week that was in the wildcard race, and he says, you know, I'm not sure if I see any of Miami, Cincinnati, Arizona making the playoffs. Wildcard teams will be San Francisco, San Diego, and the Cubs, maybe the Phillies, just like we expected at the start of the year. And I just thought that I was surprised by that because, but then, it, you know, it, you know, because what we were just talking about, I mean, the Phillies right now have their highest odds to make the playoffs as they've had all season um i think in a lot of ways they're a team that has wildly underachieved yet are sitting at 61 and 51 as you've referenced numerous times and i i think the national perception is is yeah i don't know i don't know what it is because they really have just like totally flown unaware they haven't been on national tv in a while they didn't mm-hmm. make any big trades they weren't in a lot of rumors and that's the way the front office wanted it uh Yet they've sort of been in this just kind of like, you know, treading water phase, you know, I, I really. I mean, not more. They've been better than that. I mean, since June one, yeah. they've one of the best records in baseball. But yeah, as a, for a whole season for four months, they've really been in that treading water, not really doing anything too crazy, at least, you know, nationally. And I don't know, like I was really surprised to see him say it. Then I, I and I wonder, if, Paul, if you do the same thing I do, I pull up the standings every morning just to look right. Yeah. And what is one of the first things you do? And that is go look at the run differential, right? That's what I do. Frequently. Yes. And so I'm guessing that a lot of people will go look at the run differential. They'll go look at the standings right now and they'll see the Phillies with a very measly plus 18 while being 10 games over 500. Mm -hmm. And it is a result, no doubt, of them playing a ton of close games and having a very unsustainable record in one run games. But nevertheless, it is what it is right now. And you know, for example, the Cubs and the Padres, two teams that have, you know, relatively underachieved record-wise. I guess maybe the Cubs are out of that category now. Um, have very po- you know, very favorable run differentials. I mean, the Cubs have scored seventy-five more runs than they've allowed. Um, mm-hmm. The Padres sixty-nine, nice, uh, more runs mm-hmm. than than they've allowed, and they're two games under five hundred. Padres, I, I, wild, wild Padres. season for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, a, a, a <clears throat> definitely a vote for chemistry mattering. I think. Um, mm. and so I think that's what maybe people look at and they say, wow, like, you know, the Phillies are definitely overachieving because they're 10 games over 500 and they have an, a plus 18 run differential. Whereas us watching them every day and being around them, it's like, no, 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 no. This team has wildly underachieved. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the right answer is. I think I lean toward underachieving. Uh, but Uh, I was just surprised and I don't think, you know, I'm not like calling out Mike here. Like I think no, 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 no. His take is perfectly
0: acceptable. Um, like, I don't
1: know. I'll be surprised the Phillies aren't the four seed in the playoffs. Right.
0: At this point. Yeah. That's, that's what I expected coming in. I, I think we, people definitely look at teams differently depending on where they're situated. Right that that's just called bias. That's just, that colors everything that we do. When we look at these different teams, if we have a, an affiliation, if we have a team that we ride, everything comes with a little bit of tint, even as much as you try to stay objective, even if you're, you know, in a national perspective, you know, Mike and I were former coworkers at MLB advanced media back in the day. Mike, I'm sorry for the yonder. dropping so the bam. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and, and, and Mike has, you know, he, he was a Dodgers fan. He still is a Dodgers fan, I assume, but he's been national for a while now, and you know, the little things like that can you carry them with you. He's probably never given that much thought to the Phillies on a season-by-season basis, it, 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 which is fine. I don't give a lot of thought to the Dodgers outside of when the Phillies play them. I'll check on them occasionally, but it, they're they're not my team. They're not where most of my interest lies. I try and stay informed, and that's about it. And so, if you're at a national level. This is just it's a natural thing. You have so many teams and so many players that you need to pay attention to that sometimes you don't see the things that the people who have their boots on the ground, I guess you could say, pick up on and notice. And you and I have spent a lot of time watching Philadelphia Phillies baseball over the last uh however Too many much years.
1: Time.
0: And, <laughs> and we have a sense of things. And every other fan base has that sense that they've developed of the way their their teams and players play throughout the course of a year where something feels right or feels off you know it's an interesting lesson in fanhood at a national perspective versus a local perspective i cannot have the same kind of intuition about you know whether certain braves players are going good or going bad even though you know that's a bad example because they're all going good right now god, but i just matt i don't Olson, have that oh my god yeah matt olsen matt olsen hit <laughs> 60 home runs it's unbelievable <laughs> Um, but I just, I don't, I don't have that. And so you and I came into this from a local perspective and we're like, okay, this team, we knew they were good, but frustrating in 2022, we felt like they underachieved a little bit, but then had a team that was built for a playoff environment. They had high quality players who maybe didn't put together full seasons that we would have expected. You know, Kyle Schwarber was, was hot and cold in, in a way that you know, maybe would even make Reese Hoskins blush at points. He still led the league in home runs, but you know, <laughs> you look at his full season line, you're like, how did he make that happen? And he's doing something <laughs> similar again this year, but all of a sudden you get to the playoffs and he's like, you know, hitting second level tanks off you Darvish in San Diego, because that's what this team is built for. And you look at their regular season this year in 2023 with the changes they made and, and, and the additions. And you look at what they had and what they came in with compared to that year last year. And you thought, Okay. I think on on net uh, th- this is about the same with the additions, this is a, the subtractions, you know, you lose Zach Efflin, but you add Tywon Walker, you you fill in the bullpen a little bit, you add Trey Turner, who you would think makes everything better up and down the lineup, and that hasn't quite materialized. And instead you've just gotten breakouts from other points. You know, where would the bullpen be without Jeff Hoffman and Craig Kimbrell? You know, those were not expected, even I think on our level, our local level. And even though we were paying attention to who was coming in and going. So it's really just an interesting perspective type thing. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It's just different. When you remove yourself from a local level and you can't expect to be a fan of every single team on this level, you don't, none of us have brain space for that. We just don't. Then sometimes you just see things differently and, you know, calling it, calling it a take, you know, that word feels kind of icky to me these days, but I guess it is that. You just have to offer that kind of reaction based on what you know, what you've learned. You take the time to look at the guys who have been added in. You have to scout a stat sheet for a lot of it because you're not watching every single spring training game. You're not going back and watching video of every single edition that every team has made and comparing it to how they fit, blah, blah, blah. You get overwhelmed. So that happens. And I think it's fine to look at that in the, in the perspective of the National League and Who was coming into it feeling like, all right, yeah, San Diego is going to be better. They're going to challenge for the division. We know the Dodgers are still good. Who knows about the Central? I didn't think the Cubs were this close. I thought they were still another year away, but they're getting breakouts too. Having a resuscitated Cody Bellinger helps. Again, it's all just.
1: They got to be the favorites to win that division now, right? I mean, just looking uh, at, I mean, not not just recency bias, I know. But like, if you look at the overall picture, like. Reds, you know, didn't get a starting pitcher and the Brewers have not hit all season. And you're just yeah. kind of like, eh, they just got Brandon Woodruff back. Maybe that helps. But I don't know. At this point, the Cubs are like got to be the favorites.
0: Well, yeah, because the Cubs are doing, you know, just enough of both hitting and pitching. You mentioned that the Reds can't pitch. Very few of them can pitch, I guess, outside of Andrew Rabbit and, and some bullpen pieces. They're going to
1: get some guys back like they're supposed, yeah. supposed to get Lodolo and Hunter Green. But
0: yeah. N- that, that'll help. They're not aces right now. They're they're good. I think you could call them at this stage in their careers, you know, generously a number two for Green and Mid, Lodola or someone. Yeah, yeah, mid-rotation guys. But th- I mean that's that's the thing, right? We have we have honed our feelings around this team and its players and the vibe checks to such a fine point by now, with so much time and understanding all of the weird things that this franchise does throughout the course of a baseball season, that what we have now is right about what we could have expected. Maybe not how, exactly how we thought we were going to get there. But, you know, I just talked about this a couple of minutes ago. They're 13 and 10 out of the All-Star break. That's a 92 win pace. It's why baseball requires, you know, a little bit more patience when when looking at this bigger picture, because they play a lot of games and it takes a lot of time for something to to really unfurl that way because you look at 13 and 10 you're like oh that's not so impressive but it's 162 game season and that means it's a you know a 90 plus win pace even though it's only three games above 500 in that stretch um
1: they're, they're two games off last year's pace right now do you know that? yeah they were 63 and 49 through 112 last
0: year yeah so there you go it's really just a matter of perspective and adjusting for the marathon that is a baseball season you hear that a lot and this is just kind of a kind of a lesson in that, with a little bit of, of national versus local perspective sprinkled in.
1: All right, I want to end with two things. Okay. Uh, Bailey Falter made his debut with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh huh. Four innings, six hits, one run, one walk, two strikeouts against the Brewers. A decidedly bad team offensively. Um, I'm very that. curious to see what what Bailey does the rest of the year. Um, I know why they traded him. I mean, there was definitely some not so good feelings between the two sides, and I also think that. Um, he was going to be out of options next year, going into next year. Uh, mm. And they probably looked at him as somebody who wasn't going to make their 26-man roster. He's, again, an up-and-down guy um, yeah. who has value in that role. But once you remove the ability to move him up and down without exposing him to waivers, he really loses that value. So they moved him.
0: Um, Great point. And
1: they got Rudy Castro. Um, and there's one last thing I want to leave you with, and that's something I just read as we were talking here. And it's uh, Kylie McDaniel over at ESPN. Okay. Did his like early 2023 MLB free agency rankings. This is not to be taken with anything more than a grain of salt, right? Okay. And I just want to read you what uh, he wrote about Nola. Uh, he ranked Ooh. Nola fifth, by the way, in the early. Among
0: rankings. all players.
1: Yes. He's got Otani okay. one, Matt Chapman two, which I think we can all agree on the order of those two. He's got Blake Snell three, which I. Uh, whatever okay. contract Blake Snell gets this off season, I will immediately deem it the worst contract of the offseason just like I did with Carlos Rodon oh, the, the Rodon award winner yes <laughs> I don't care what it is I don't care what Blake Snell gets it will be a bad contract and then I hope Blake Snell is not listening uh, <laughs> sorry Blake number four is uh, Yamamoto I'm not going to even try to pronounce his first name from from Japan who's supposed oh. to be posted I guess um, he's kind of interesting and then Nola's fifth Okay, and I'm going to read you what Kylie wrote about Nola, and I want to get your instant reaction. Oh, boy. Because Nola is right-handed and doesn't have the velocity or strikeout rate of Snell, there's less belief that he'll get the highest pure pitcher deal, which he's saying like the the highest non Otani deal. He has underperformed all of the ERA indicators for three straight years, so if a team has a clear point of view of what's driving that trend, it could see some upside. Are you ready for this? Okay, okay. Kevin Gausman's deal with Toronto, five years, one hundred and ten million, seems like the most relevant comparison here.
0: Wow. Hmm. Hmm.
1: So I ask you, Um, would you sign Aaron Nola to a five-year, one hundred and ten million-dollar deal?
0: Yes. Yes, I I would. Yes, he's going to get more than that. He would. I would think so. I, I the Nola thing. (laughs) <laughs> and I There's didn't mean be... to try this is we could probably talk for a few hours about this we, I was we to could that, but man no. I just
1: was like I was kind of almost fell out of my chair when I read that yeah no it's, it's I, very interesting yeah I, I mean he has not been good no we that like that no. you know we didn't even get to talk about him at all I mean he's his last few starts have been have not been good
0: I I think I, we do need to save some of this for the offseason because he's going to reach free agency I I do think 5 one ten or somewhere in that immediate Feels vicinity light. It does, and I do think the Phillies should do that, even though that would make a not too small portion of the fan base very, very confused. But we can't, we can't go into that right now. We just we can't. What's that? Um, a year? Yeah. yeah, yeah, roughly 22, 22. twenty-two. Uh oh boy, yeah, that would be hmm, that would be interesting. We need to we need to have just a Nola special. We really could talk for an hour just on that guy. No, that's interesting though. I, I had not seen that. Uh, it it's still interesting though that he in kylie's case puts nola assumably assumably assumedly (laughs) they is not a word ahead of julio rius who is also not having a great walk year and i just think that's interesting
1: he's got urias at eighth
0: okay all right so still in the mix uh yeah we could go down a whole rabbit hole with free agency and how the phillies are going to sign otani for 600 billion dollars nope um No, that's okay. It'll still be fun to watch where he does go. Uh, Matt, as we wrap up here and look forward to what we hope are four games in four days against the Nationals, but maybe four games in three days against the Nationals. uh, What do you got cooking at the Athletic? What are you looking forward to? What do you got your eye on for the, the next stretch of seven games against these Nats and then later the Minnesota Twins?
1: uh i want to see chris sanchez's next start uh his last one wasn't very good it was probably his worst one um it was his worst one um but yeah i've, I've been kind of when wanting to write about him a little more about him and just haven't had the the right chance just because the deadline and all that stuff and sure one of the things that i'm really interested to watch is how they treat the starting pitchers while in a six-man rotation does yeah. that affect affect uh, Rob Thompson's decisions <laughs> more often than not? Like, is he more willing to let a guy try to get another inning or push his pitch count because he's getting that extra day? And I think the answer to that is yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious to see how the, how the pitchers are managed in this six man rotation. And, and this isn't going to, at least it's, it you know, it's probably going to expire next week. Cause they, cause cause next week they have, uh, you know, these, this this weird schedule where they have two off days um, bookending a, a, a trip to Toronto so that there's mm-hmm. too much too there's too much downtime there for them to, to use a six rotation. just be too much extra rest for some of these guys so that it will force a decision um, by the end of this week on what they're going to do with the rotation.
0: Interesting. All right. So keep your eyes up. It should be you would hope another series win. the expectation should be that the Phillies take three or four here from the Nats, even though the Nats have been hitting the ball well. Phillies are playing good ball, and this is the time of year and the time of their schedule where they should be continuing to make inroads towards securing that playoff spot. So here's hoping I'm not being a mush. <laughs> Thanks, as always, to Matt and to our folks at Phillies Nation for helping us get the word out. Phillies are playing good ball. They're 10 games above 500 again, and and the vibes are trending up for everybody involved, including Trey Turner. So here's hoping that keeps up. So for Matt and for everybody, thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next week.